Welcome to Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each fortnight, Mick will unpack rock and roll stories. Stories that you probably won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks off. Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, you might notice that this episode abruptly ends at around the 60 minute mark. Now, there is a reason for that, but we will let Mick and John fill us in in the next episode of Get Your Rocks Off. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I, I'm speaking in this voice because... <laughs> Fuck sake. Shut up! They're here. They're here. Coco has brought some... We can't. I'm going to have to stop this. Hang Hello. And welcome to another fine edition of Get Your Rocks Off. Get your rocks off. Get your rocks off. With me, Mick Wall, and that bloke over there. Me, John Hotton. That's right. Um, Now, uh, this week, this time, we're going to be talking about something truly joyous, (laughs) something uplifting. It's just before Christmas as we record this. It is, so but this will be middle of January. When it can, well, I realise that, but I'm just—I <laughs> re, I do understand that. But I'm just saying, just trying to give. There'll be joy in our voices for two reasons. Reason A is that it's going to be Christmas soon. Yeah, always fills me with joy. It fills me it? with such joy. Joy, yeah, joy, and and you know, <laughs> and the fact the pandemic has said we can't get together. Yeah, well, that, actually, that does fill me with family. joy. Yeah, I'm very yeah. strong advocate yeah. for no no bubbles yeah. at Christmas. Yeah. Do not come to my fucking house just because there's some tenuous blood leak. Exactly. Okay? That gate out there that I couldn't get through this morning. The, the barrier the to barrier, the farm. The barrier, as it's yes. which needs an electronic opening. I drew up to the barrier this morning, ready to record the podcast. And I usually have to make a phone call when I arrive at the barrier. To you know, because obviously the house is way. You imagine a uh, imagine way a in, the, in the rolling, the rolling countryside. That's right. There's a little dot on the horizon, which yes. is the house. So I call the house. Just a curl of. I call it. Yeah, I call the house to to be admitted to do the podcast. And so I call the house. There's no reply. I the wait ma- a few the minutes. main house. Uh, the main house. I call the house again. There's no reply. I see the front door open. Out walks Mick Wall. Has a look around. I'm sure he does see me at the barrier, and he just no, runs back that. inside. Just ran back inside and shut the door. Well, I thought you might be some sort of tenuous relative <laughs> come to spread Christmas joy. So yeah. clearly that's unacceptable. Yeah. So that didn't. So we're through. We're now through the barrier. As we're you can through tell. the barrier. We're, we're in the room. Reason A. Reason one that we're joyous is it's Christmas. Reason B is today's subject. Which is the most joyous, popular form of rock music of that all ever rock music. of all rock music? Yeah. Grunge. <laughs> grunge. You can tell by its wonderful nom de plume. Wonderful plume. name that it's going to be amazing. It's grunge, full of chicks, chicks, and well, well dead chicks, some dead drugs. chicks, dead chicks, heroin killed by chicks. drugs. Yeah, killed by drugs. Dead blokes killed by drugs and doom and so not much sex. Yeah. No. Some rock and roll, but mainly drugs. A lot of drugs. (laughs) 
Yeah, but uh, while we're on that point, that that word grunge, yeah, which so aptly describes the uplifting sound nature of, a of the down tuned yeah. Kim. What was his name in Soundgarden? <laughs> Kim Thaler. Research. And in a minute we will come to some... There's a new section of the pot called Corrections oh, yeah. and Clarifications. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll come we'll, to that in a minute. We'll come to that in a minute. But first to say, look... Kim now, listen, Thale, yes. It's who you're Thale, groping yeah, for. Yeah, pretending that I didn't know the name of. Um, uh, melodic rock fans, hair metal fans, chill out. Chill okay? the Don't, fuck out. Chill the fuck out! Don't yeah. tune off because... Because trust me, this is one discussion about grunge you're going to like. You're going to like, because we're, yeah, we're not talking about grunge, basically. Really, we're not, no. no. Um, uh, but what I will say is, um, I don't know what I was going to say. Uh, oh. Should we do corrections? We should, because I believe you had a comment which you emailed to me or, or sent to me which was very, it was very lovely from people who'd listened to the pod and they enjoyed it. Very one, much enjoyed very the much friendly ambiance. <laughs> but one of them said, I'm not sure they get everything right. It was, <laughs> it was along those lines. Yeah, I, I, I had a yeah. couple of comments from someone saying, very cool podcast, not so much on the research. Yeah, that's right. What the and fuck? And yet, how often do we talk about research? All how, the time. All that we talk about all it, the, all the time the on research, the pod. The research. The research is in my heart. The research that we do. Our lives have been the research. Exactly. Because I mean, we were there. That's we were why there. we do this podcast. Because we were there. Why do you think we can't remember everything? <laughs> because we were there. And, one, and, and where we were for one of the last episodes, I'm not quite sure in which order these episodes are going to go out. So it probably wasn't the last episode, but the last episode... But one maybe, which was about the monsters of rock, the Donington monsters of rock. You may have listened to it. It was, was a good one. There was about three podcasts. It was about three it. podcasts, but it was a good podcast. I mean, it was all about what it was like to be at Donington. Well, I was good. Mick was fantastic, and he, Mick told a story <laughs> that at his uh, was it the first Donington you went to? I think you said where you went with Steve Jewell, aka Crusher, yeah. and Kelly Pike yeah. in the Green Machine, which yeah. was Crusher Jewell's car, yeah. in sort of true Hunter S. Thompson style, departed from Bermondsey in the morning, arrived at Donington. You were contracted to provide two reviews. Two uh, intricately two woven, reviews, enlightening, insightful, yeah. intelligent, well-researched. Well-researched. The first one you said was of Y&T. The second one was of Gary Moore, both of whom were playing at the Monsters of Rock. He got that right. right. The, the story entailed the fact that for the first act he, he was reviewing, Y&T, he was still on the motorway. No, 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 no. I was face down on the ground. Okay. okay. Now, we, we had arrived, right. but by then I couldn't walk. So I'd actually That's crawled right. on my hands and knees from the car yeah. into the much-needed sanctuary <laughs> of the VIP area. That's right, the VIP area. Where I was... Whereupon, where he took upon, out his notebook... That's right. Um, well, anyway, cut along, so no, no, let's no, not no, rehash it. No, no, let's not another rehash comment, it. The one that said, it, John always interrupts you. Oh, yeah. Case in point... <laughs> There's a review on Spotify. I never read reviews. I came across this one by accident, like like Trump coming across a Bill Maher uh, episode <laughs> by accident. Um, 
uh, and it said very good podcast. It's very just spoiled good. because John keeps <laughs> interrupting when Mick's about to say no, something. But that's because what you can't see is he's just about to nod off, and I think, oh Christ, I better get in here, otherwise it's just going to be dead air. So I'm but- face down on the ground, and someone says, "Why and T aren't you supposed to be reviewing them?" To which I I immediately replied. <laughs> If you listen carefully, you can hear Coco joining in on that. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, he likes yeah. that. So one. anyway, please continue, so, John. Uh, yeah. a, 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 a listener, uh, a, a regular, regular, a, a regular listener. listener, all our listeners are regular listeners, podders, are they called podders or whatever? I don't even know what they're called. Pod followers, podsters. I don't know. What do you call people who listen to podcasts? I don't know, whatever. Listeners. The people that listen to this podcast are yeah. clearly... The discerning, 1% elite listeners and One of those discerning world. men is Tim McMillan, who's a great man, a great metal fan, and a, somewhat of an archivist. If you ever need a sort of back issue of Kerrang! or Sounds or something like that, Tim's one of the men you can go to, because in his sad way, he's got like a shed full of old magazines. Wow. Lo and behold, I get in after, the, after this episode has, has, has been broadcast to be sent a message by Tim saying, thought you'd like to see the review of Donnington that day. <laughs> thought you'd like to read it. <laughs> so yeah, go on. I got it out. And, and the first band on that, well, no, actually, the first, the first band, because there's sort of one page, has, uh, Tim sent one page, I think the, the There was the more than one page. Was more, it began on a previous page, so there's, yeah, cool. the page begins with sort of the last paragraph of a Derek Oliver review. Thank God, God knows who that is. Yeah. All, all I can say is they played a song called Looks That Kill. Oh, no, it was Motley Crue. <laughs> It's Motley Crue who God must have knows who they are. Up. All I know who is the they played a song they? called Looks, Looks That the Kill. Kill. No Motley clue there. Crew. No clue there at all. So Motley Crue have played before the next band. Now, the next band on at Donington, do you know who it was that day? Y&T? No, it was Except. Oh. Except. And who reviewed Except that day? No yeah. clue. It was Mick Wall. No. Mick Wall really? reviewed Except that day. No, you mean I reviewed except you, thinking I not, was reviewing not, Y and T. Do you not recall these words? Staggering like a dog with three legs, <laughs> suffering from a severe case of the rabies shakes. Me and except bumped heads. No, what a do great! Not, what a, it was no. a good, good opening. That's not bad, is it? Considering you were on your hands and knees and thought you were watching Y and T. Yeah. That's I, I was I was actually face down. I, I just like to emphasize that because so you so you did see except the next band on that day were Y and T. And did I review them? No, you didn't know Mark Putterford <laughs> reviewed Y and T. Do you know that brings back a weird memory? I think maybe I was supposed to review Y and T, but forgot, and then later in the day, Putterford goes, "Weren't you supposed to review Y and T?" I went. Maybe. Uh, was I? I said, oh. He goes, you were face down. I went, I know. I said, did you see them? And he went, yeah. I said, I said well, why don't you do it then? Yeah. <laughs> I bet he didn't review any other band that day, did I don't he? Even, well, I'm trying to see on here. Because the next band on, after yeah, the, the Gary tremendous Snor? set by one team was Gary Moore, which was, who was reviewed by... Me. Mick Wall. Oh, Correct. Okay. Excellent. Correct. Excellent. Dressed Gary. in a natty red tracksuit. 
Gary Moore paraded his talents. You'd obviously given up by that. Point. Yeah, I'm you surprised didn't I didn't mention floorboard yeah, bass, yeah. You really pummeling did. drums, and kamikaze <laughs> guitar. The review concludes. Good rocking, though, Gaza. Good rocking. That's the review of a man who did not see. <laughs> <laughs> who did not see the set. No, no, it was yeah. present, but yeah. not correct. No, that's right. You're right, I don't think Putterford did chime in again that day because the next act on... No, I do remember clearly yeah. saying to someone, can you do it? Yeah, next, <laughs> the next act on was Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. which Del Boy did again. A highly appropriate he, he choice. He obviously saw that. Van Halen were next after that, and Dave Dixon did Van Halen. Oh, and, and who, who did the headliners? Headliners, which were ACDC, was... I'm trying to see the bonnet. It was Dave Dixon again. So well, well, Dave well. was obviously the man that day, <laughs> not Mick Wall. <laughs> no, I, 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 um, I concede that there may have been... <laughs> the odd inaccuracy. Some, um, Both in the report itself and in the memory of the day. There may have been some uh, slightly uh, fuzzy detail in the actuality. <laughs> In the actuality. But I think you'll find the spirit of Donington was very lived much... Lived within the... the lived within the world. Rabid head shakes or whatever. That was good. Love that. Go that and nick was that. really good. Yeah, go nick that. That. Use that again. Yeah. No so anyway... Um, so corrections over. If you, hear oh, any, if you hear anything else that's wrong, mm, drop us a line. Yeah. Don't drop I'm, us I'm a line. I'm going to drop you a line oh, okay. right now, yeah. Well, we really Do you remember when you shit. were going on and on and on <laughs> about how leopard were bottled off at Donington. I don't remember that. And I said I to you, I'm sure I and I said to you, I said to you, I said Reading, to you, Donington, who cares? I said to you, I said, I think it was Reading, and you went, yeah. no, no, it was definitely Donington. You're right, you Turns are right. Turns out, a listener, and, and I, <laughs> whenever, whenever a listener sends a comment, I just know they know more than we do. Yeah, of course they do. A listener yeah. pointed out that that was not the actuality. <laughs> No. <laughs> the actuality, which you had clearly avoided for reasons unknown, was more that... Uh, it was like that I forgot, probably. Yes, that's definitely mm. one technical term for it in Because podcasting. you know what, you know what, it came back to me because I could be, I'm, I'm probably going to be completely... Like a bad dream. I'm probably going to be completely wrong again here, but wasn't Donington probably. Rick Allen's first gig after he made his comeback with the, after his accident? Because after we after that after we we'd had that discussion, I'm sure I remembered there was this there was a saw a great documentary on on Def Leppard at one point, and when Rick had had lost his arm and he was making his comeback, they had the adapted kit, and it was this terrific bit of engineering at the time because obviously it was way ahead of synths and all that kind of stuff. So they adapted this kit that could enable him to trigger various sounds, and all really interesting stuff. And what they did was they lined up a couple of low-key shows for him to make his comeback. And they had, I think the guy's name is Jeff Rich, who was the drummer in Status Quo at the time. He's a really good guy. And they basically both drummed together. And Jeff was just a kind of there to help Rick along and see how it went. But it came to the big gig. And there was this lovely kind of moment where Jeff Rich just looked at Rick and said, look, man, you're ready. You're ready to go. You can do this, you know. And I think then Donington was that gig. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I can't remember if it was Donington, but um, Jeff Rich was in Germany with status quo. Right. And his plane had been delayed. 
And so it looked like he wasn't going to make it to the gig. And there was a brief conversation along the lines of, do we do it without Jeff? Right, right. Um, and Leopard are always, you know, always up for it. And they were like, no, no, we'll do it. We're just going to go for it. Yeah. And I can't remember now whether Jeff Rich turned up in time or if he turned up halfway think, through. See, that's now triggering my room. I think you're right. I think he turned up about halfway through. And Rick was already, already doing, doing his yeah, thing. Yeah. And Rich got there and he was like, all right, yeah. And Jeff was like, you got this. Yeah. Because I think he'd been listening in the car. Something or, like that. You know, he, yeah, or as he's making his way on his hands and knees <laughs> through, through the, the VIP, like the, the rest yeah. of us, through Past the VIP. Past Mick Wall. Crawled right over me. <laughs> yeah. Him with his two arms, climbed yeah. right over me and his yeah. drumsticks, yeah. you know, in his nostrils, climbed straight over me. And, um, yeah. So, a lot it, to do with drums and, so and, far. And one day we should definitely talk about Leopard and Rick Allen because that's such a brilliant story and such a brilliant comeback, isn't it? I mean, it's an amazing thing that now you don't even think about it when you see Def Leppard. You don't even think about it. No, it's a bit... I, I, I was yeah. the first person to ever interview Rick after... Um, Were you? After he came back, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, can you hear the pug? The pug. Can yeah. we hear the pug? Yeah. 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 That's not me snoring, no, that's Coco. That's the heavy metal pug. The heavy metal pug. Impersonating the time. <laughs> Um, and he had, and he was showing me. It was really funny because he was showing me the kit, but he was almost prouder of the fact that he was showing me he'd learned to roll a cigarette with yeah. one hand. <laughs> to him, that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got yeah. this. Uh, yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, yeah drums. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty impressive. Yeah, I have it to is. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, grunge. Grunge. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. We'll take turns here, but let me, if, if it's okay with you, I'm gonna. You're gonna set it up. I'm gonna set it up because I had two kind of pre-grunge. Well, you know, like when you have a big earthquake, there's sometimes pre pre-tremors. There yeah, are yeah. Premat- not I don't know if they're premature, a but they're sort of tremor. Warm. That's what they should call them. That's good. A premature. A premature. There yeah. you go. Yeah, no, that's no, a I, geological term, people. That I just invented. Premature. If you feel a premature, get out. Yeah. Copyright. Yeah. Um, uh, PayPal. So um, <laughs> I'm in LA, as I was in those days, and two things happened almost simultaneously. I was literally by the pool at the Sunset Marquee when uh, a record company lady whose name I can't remember from, I think, CBS, <clears throat> or maybe Sony had taken over then, but anyway, CBS, and um, she hands me a cassette. And because I was known as, like, the Guns and Roses guy, yeah. that sort of guy, uh, she was like, you're going to love this because mm. I think this band are going to be, like, bigger than Guns and Roses. Yeah, to which she just laughed. And to which I just took that through tape. Through the tape. And in the her, pool. In, the, in pool, the pool. Both of them in the pool for ridiculousness. For, for outrageous yeah. proclamations. Bigger than Axl Rose. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah, fuck you, I said. Yeah. Get out of the ring, I said. Come in here with your crappy tape. <laughs> so I looked at it, and it was by a group called Mother Love Bone. Oh. And um, I was like, you know, in those days, honestly, I couldn't walk. I'm sure it was the same for read, you in those days. You couldn't like, walk, walk anywhere without someone giving you a cassette. Yeah, set, yeah. I remember Zodiac yeah. Mind Warp <laughs> uh, when he was still Mark Manning. He and God I, loves a trier. He, he, yeah. he, he and I had worked together on a sort of a 
pre-Kerrang or about the same time Kerrang was first starting, a magazine called Metal Fury. And it was a heavy metal <laughs> magazine that you unfolded right. into a giant poster. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was a designer, was he? Or he was he a was designer. designer. Yeah, and yeah. he was Mark and yeah. I was Mick. Yeah. But I used to write under the name of Frank Fury. <laughs> And he used to do It's a good Irish. No, you sound like you're in an Irish folk band. Diddly the Furies. Diddly. The Furies. The Furies with Frank Fury. <laughs> he was in the Furies and then he went solo as Frank <laughs> yeah. Fury and the yeah. Furies. Yeah. A bit like Ronnie James Dio, or a bit like Dio featuring Ronnie, Ronnie James. James Dio. <laughs> yeah. It was the Furies featuring Frank Ronnie. Fury and future Zodiac Mining. <laughs> I bumped into him. This is now cut to two years later or whatever. I bumped into him outside the offices of Kerrang when we were still in Covent Garden. Yeah. And, hello, Mark. Da, da, da. What are you up to? He said, oh, I'm starting a band. In <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, Just that- the words to fill you with joy. Oh, yeah, immediately That's what I'm you like, always want to hear. One of your is, mates has started a band. Is that the time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've got a cassette. I'm like, oh, oh no. Yeah, of course you have. So he gave me a, a cassette and... Uh, I think it just went in the drawer with all the other yeah. fucking cassettes, you know. Yeah. Never played it. I don't think I even had a cassette player. <laughs> I didn't have nothing in those days. I didn't even have anywhere to live. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you're giving cassettes all the time. And here I am now, a few years on from Zodiac's tape. I'm, a, I'm in L.A. And um, uh, also, if I did a thing on a group... They would pay for another two or three nights at the hotel, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a spin. Yeah. Left it, ignored it, and then about a week later found it and played it. Yeah, you had the nights by this time. Did I have the what? Had you had the three nights by this time. Oh, I'd probably turned it into a couple of weeks, yeah, you know, yeah, and then yeah. you've got to fly me yeah, to I Seattle first to it. class. If you could just pay for the next few days. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'll <laughs> listen to it soon. I was doing a kind of a greatest hits Mick Wall thing about 10 years ago and I was going through all these old issues of Kerrang! And it was better than a diary. Yeah. Because yeah, there were things yeah. in there I have no memory of. There was one big feature I did on Femme Fatale. Do you remember them? Oh, God, Lorraine Lewis, yeah. yeah oh, I was trying to think of her name, yeah. Lorraine Lewis. Mm. And here it is, this huge feature with me interviewing Lorraine Lewis saying how... Um, what were they called? Femme Fatale. Femme Fatale, how big they were going to be. <laughs> See, <laughs> a classic example there. And, and I remember I did that. Technique. I did that having lunch at the Sunset Marquee because her label had give, just given me another three yeah. nights <laughs> and paid for lunch. Yeah, yeah. So she just send her around. I'll do it now. Zero recollection of mm. writing it. Ever hearing any music? Yeah, I can. Even, well, you didn't can't really, really remember what she looks like. Fair hair, I think. Yeah, sort of blonde hair. She was kind of like um, very. I would. I would say very American looking. You know that kind of the, you know, a blonde haired woman in LA. Blonde head, hmm. but weird. I. I, I no. I'm, I'll, if I yeah, say, I'm going to say, I'll get cancelled. So yes, I'm not going to yes. say. It. No, don't say that. I know you retain these very sexist. <laughs> Old school. It's not. I'm just groping for a good description. Sorry? Cut, what, what were you doing? Not, oh, please. Really? Harvey? We're talking about grunge. Really? It moved on. Things have, times have moved on. So I listened to Mother Love Bone. Yeah. Do you know what? It's coming back to me now. I think it's like a month or two later. I'm listening you to You stayed it. for a month. They paid for a month. By then, yeah. I was I, I was living there pretty much at, all the time. At the, at I would the... stay at uh, people's places. and yeah. <laughs> So... um 
it's literally a couple of months later, and I'm listening to this thinking, this is pretty fucking it's good. good. This, this is actually good. is kind yeah. of in the Guns and yeah. Roses orbit. It was, it was kind of, I mean, I don't want to jump in ahead of the story. Oh, of course not, no, because no, that's no, not no. your style. No, I was just going to say, it, uh, what, what it had was those roots of... You know, Mark Bolan, T Rex, as well. Yeah, Queen, Elton, all the yeah. same influences that Axel had. Yeah, ab- absolutely. In a guy that was probably about the same age, I think. Yeah. I think Andrew Wood, the singer and main songwriter in Mother Love Bone, I think was about yeah. the same age as Axel. He, he would have been young at that that time. So um, I think, do you know, this is actually really fucking good. Yeah. So I, I ring up the record company, going, you know that tape. <laughs> I would like, and she went, it's too late, the guy died. Fuck, well, yeah, wow. And I was like, oh, okay, cassette out the window. Yeah. You know, like, oh, well, never mind. Femme Fatale are coming round later. <laughs> yeah, I'll get my three nights out of them. <laughs> so, um, no, I was like, oh, wow, that's such a shame, you know, and then literally forgot about it. Same time, literally same time. So this is, this is 1990? Yeah. 89 going, I think like early It was 89. 19- he died in 89, didn't he? Uh, was it 89 he died? I think it was, well, I, I'm not. Or maybe he died and they just, I think he died and they put the album out. What happened was uh, the album was, the album was slated for, I think it was sort of like July, something like that. I'm just guessing slightly now, but it was early summer and he died literally, I think a week or so before it was due to come out. Right. Um, and what I had was a one so of those pre-release, pre-release. So I think they then held it back for not more than sort of a couple of months. It was two or three months, and then it came out. Okay. So you're talking about that intervening period over the summer. Well, like I whether said, it was I can't, or whether I can't it was remember 90. if I rang a two was, months later yeah. or two weeks later, yeah. but it was definitely after the fact. Yeah. But I was so taken with it. I thought, my God, this is... Because at that time, everybody, you know, there was Love Hate, Burning Tree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Black Crows were yeah. another new group I was just were writing we, were about. Were throwing love, hate him? <laughs> well, no, what I mean is in LA at that moment, oh, there, mean, there was a whole yeah, crop yeah, of new yeah. bands. Remember the Sea Hags? Oh, I do remember the Sea Hags, man. Signed with a real flourish. You know? do you, and do you remember Circus of Power? I do. Well, it's all those bands. They, because I suppose what was happening, and you were absolutely right, was the, this transition period. And Mother Love Bone, as I'm sure you'll go on and say, became the kind of trigger for this whole moment of change but um uh so you had the sort of old school record company guys were still signing up the last of the kind of hair metal bands who were in la whereas up the coast a few hundred miles they were signing up the, the bands that had sprung up in the around mother love bone you know? well mother love bone were the only one to get a major deal the, the the ones that we now would come to know quite quickly you know nirvana soundgarden Etc. Etc. Uh, you know, originally on Sub Pop, yeah. which was just a bloke with a corner store, um, you know, doing little deals. Um, the point, I guess, I'm grasping towards was there was a moment where um, it wasn't called grunge. We hadn't arrived at that quite yet, but there definitely was an emerging kind of generation of bands that, for me, were more interesting than the Bon Jovi, Motley Crue era, because they kind of had all that uh, sexiness going for them. 
but I thought they had better songs and, and, and it was more meaningful than kickstart my heart. You yeah, know, I just been yeah. I just overdosed and now I'm back, you yeah. know. Yeah. Girls, well, love, girls, hate. girls. What was love, love hate on about? Blackout in a red Blackout room. Blackout in the red room. Well, my favourite. Oh. Why do you take that cunny dog? <laughs> and, 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 that was a good one. And what was this? Who was that? Were the sea, the sea hags that heave hard, she comes easier? Was that them? Was that the sea hags? I can't. I don't actually recall any of their music. No. But I remember it being... You know, they were very kind of... They were a thing. You like Guns N' Roses. If you like so Guns N' Roses, you'll you're like love, this. You're going to love these other 200 bands. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I, I, I remember very much thinking there was also... Um, oh, what were they called? Uh, Oh, I can't remember what they were called. Uh, Masters of Reality. Yeah. Um, oh, they. Yeah, they were quite trouble. There was trippy, a group called Trouble who Tru- were very, yeah. very good. You know, yeah. There just seemed to be this moment yeah. where there were these groups coming yeah. that were rock bands, but with just that kind of little yeah. extra that the seventies rock bands. One had. other name I'd want to throw in there, which I think was influential on the grunge sound, was King's X. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. And, and that was out around that time. So it was out well, the Silent Planet. Fir- it was maybe eighty eight. Was it? Uh, yeah, 87, 88, yeah. 88, early 88. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. And I'm very pleased to say I was the first person to well, I remember that bring story. them to the world. It was a world. cover story of Kerrang! And it, at the time it was, who, who are these people? We've never heard of them. And they're on the cover of Kerrang! It was in Houston, wasn't it? It was in, uh, absolutely. Or Houston, uh, but, but, those, in but those were the days when Houston. Kerrang would put a group on the cover because we thought it, they were they cool. They were cool, yeah. Or they made us laugh. Yeah. Or we just liked the album. Yeah, that's it why was, I put Love Hate on the cover. Literally about three years later when EMAP bought the magazine, you had yeah. to justify who was on the cover and yeah. what was their oh, demographic, were they big enough. Who gives a can shit? Can you imagine going, yeah, we're putting Chainsaw Massacre on the cover yeah. of this. But how many have they sold yeah. and what's the demo? We yeah. don't fucking know. They're, they make us laugh. I remember, you know, the, re- the, the moment that I realised EMAP had hit rock bottom, right? It was in a kind of bit of a down era for Kerrang! But we got this story and it was the Count Grisnacht going around Norway burning down churches, right? There's no Wooden mo- stage. Yeah, there, there's no more heavy metal story than medieval churches being burnt down by a lunatic in court Called paint. Count Grisnacht. So we did this cover. We actually got somehow... I remember we were getting all the papers translated from Norwegian because this is pre-internet. sort of internet. You know, It was quite difficult to do. Piecing together this story. I think Jason Arnop did it in the end. Piecing together this story. And we got the photographs of the churches burning. We actually got the photograph and put it on the cover of Krang with a cutout of Count Grisnack. You know? And it was pretty, it was just like, the churches are burning, you know, it's perfect. And Tom Maloney, who was the, the MD or whatever he was, VMAP, sent a note back saying, this is the worst cover of any magazine I've ever seen. And I just thought, there's someone who just does not know their Go, product. There's a guy that doesn't you know? get it. Yeah, just don't get, you just... Do not Doesn't get, get it. it. Yeah. So you could walk into any prison in the country and there'd be guys that get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but yeah. he but he was a guy that didn't get it. He didn't get it. get it. He just didn't get and you know, Mark Ellen and all those people who knew nothing. Didn't they, get did, it. they just didn't understand didn't heavy metal in the They slightest. didn't get it. They didn't get it. They're too on about Pulp and people like that, idiots, you know, idiots. Fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. I'd rather listen to grunge a hundred times over. <laughs> so, as this is going on with Mother Love Bone, 
as I feel I've missed the boat on the new Guns N' Roses, I'm also working on the world's, the world's first heavy metal video magazine. Oh, that sounds good. Hard, video. There's a t- hard and hard un, un heavy. Un heavy. Yes. Hard Which un I very briefly heavy. worked on as well. Oh, did you now? Well, that I'll was clearly t- after my well, time. Well, no, I'll have to tell you the story of that. Uh, well, no, 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 you can, you, you can tell me that story in a minute. I will. Um, um, so what am I talking about? Oh, yeah, so... Hard and Heavy, uh, the two bosses, one in London uh, and one in LA. And of course See, I, that was a brilliantly kind of 80s thing, wasn't it? Having a boss in London yeah, and a boss in LA. Yeah. That made you think, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I tell yeah. you what, they, they paid me a ridiculous amount they of money every me. month. See, the th- let's just explain the concept. The concept was it would be like a magazine, <laughs> but it was on a videotape. <laughs> you, p- you bought it each week or month or month. whatever it was, each month. Put it into your brand new VCR and... There was Mick Wall. And I remember the first one, we'll never forget it, was at Ronnie James Dio's house. And it was brilliant. A proud moment. Yeah. A proud moment. So we've done two or three of these. And now we're having a meeting in LA with the boss in LA. And and at this point, he's now assembled a couple of sort of stringers, uh, young guns, I don't know personally. Mm. Why um, would you? Who? Why would you? I said. Well, why would I? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm. I'm an exalted. Yeah. Le- See, I'm an exalted. Like, did level... Axel Rose know the people at the record company? No, did, of course he fucking did. No, no. Or did he know yeah. these young contributors? On did he write songs about them? No, no. Just the exalted <laughs> no. ones. Who did Axel write the songs about? That's Me. It, there you That's go. right. Right. Go. So, um, you know, you go around the table, ideas. What should we do? And there was one young guy. I can't remember his name. A good guy, but a young guy. And he started trying to sell us on the idea of uh, getting a, a crew, you know, camera and sound and someone to interview, whatever, yeah. up to Seattle. Oh, um, immediately I'm going... Go to Seattle. I've well, never the been there in my you? life. I said, I, I've done yeah. Queensryche. Y- yeah, He's yeah like, they were from Seattle. Hart were from Seattle, but they quit very quickly got themselves down somewhere warmer. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm like, Seattle, but I've done I mean, Queensryche. rains all the time. And he said, no, no, not, not no, he said, no, no, there's a scene. There's a scene yeah, a emerging room. in Seattle with groups like, and he would have reeled off Nirvana, Sound of... I'll tell you what he would have said, Tad. Yeah, Tad. Tad Mudhoney. Mudhoney, that's those who he would have people, said. Those people, yeah. those guys. Now, I've stopped listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he kind of, he lost me. A, Didn't we all? He lost me. He lost me at Tad. He lost me at um, you had Emerging me at, Scene. You had me at Sunset Marquee. You lost me at Tad. Um, and I'm thinking, what the fuck do we want to go to Seattle, Seattle and interview a load of people that no one's ever heard of? I've just been in Ronnie James Dio's castle, mate. Yeah. You don't yeah, do better that's, than that. Uh, well, that that's, that's the sort of feature we're looking for. Have you got an idea like that? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah. But also, to be honest, it was a lifelong thing for me. Like when I was editor of Classic Rock, every month some fucking writer would say to me, oh, there's a brilliant new band. We must do something yeah, on them. And yeah. I'm like, must we? give a fuck. Yeah. Brilliant new... The magazine's not called Brilliant New Bands. It's called <laughs> Classic Rock. <laughs> Unless this brilliant new band is called Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, or, or whatever, something that we've heard of. I, I don't care. No. I eventually conceded and let them have like uh, uh, two pages in the issue every month where they could 
write about some a upcoming new band, new band yeah. which who subsequently we've never heard of. Became again. two pages no one ever read, other yeah. than the bloke who wrote yeah. the article and the band in the article. So, emerging scene, and I'm like, oh, oh, fuck, fuck off. That, you know. yeah. So I think, I, and I was the editor. So, um, so. <laughs> so, um, I remember basically saying, well, that's a fucking terrible idea. Why would you want to do that? It's ridiculous. Let's send a crew to New York and, and do Circus of Power. Or yeah. something like that, you know? <laughs> and um, have you not heard of Love Hate? Yeah, if you come and see the Sea Hags tonight, man. Man, dude, they're the, 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 the Roxy, man. Yeah. So um, I think eventually he did persuade them to let him go up there and do something. Yeah. But by then, I'd buggered off. Yeah. Um, and so cut to um, Nirvana suddenly becoming really, really big. Now, if you remember that time, Nirvana's album came out roughly about the same time as the first, as the two Use Your Illusion albums. Yes, they did, on the same label as well. Same label. They were out in September and Nevermind came out in like October... And by January, Nevermind had just overtaken Michael Jackson at number one in the US charts. And at that point, there was an enormous sea change in the American industry. And then, of course, uh, that kind of spread. It had a ripple effect on us. It Um, did. The amazing thing was the speed of that change. Because it was literally overnight. Yeah. Well... Yeah, probably was almost overnight. Well, well, the thing was, it's like, you, and and it was symbolic as well. You had Guns and Roses, who just made these. I mean, they, you know, were ridiculous kind of traditional rock style excessive albums. You know, we're gonna I'm going to write a two a two double albums yeah, released two on, the same albums day. on the same day. You know, what, what, there's going to be a 20 minute piano ballad because that's Axel's favourite song. And you weren't even allowed in the room to listen to him play it. You know, it was just. Well, he, he he slept in the studio, didn't he? Yeah. That was, he, he? He slept on a camp bed for nine months <laughs> doing the millionth vocal take of Back Off Bitch. Yeah. Well, never, it, was one, it was either November Rain or one of those. It was like, it became this thing. It was so, so intensely yeah. personal to Axel. Well, November Rain, he'd, he'd been playing right when yeah. the back, before he even he, formed he joined, the back. Yeah, yeah. But terrible song, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just oh, say, well, if he had a real the friend... The video, though, the video's amazing. No, the well, video's one of the worst videos the... I've ever seen. Yeah, but in, in being one of the worst, automatically one of the best. <laughs> with the girl who's getting married to you with a cut-out wedding dress at the front. And Slash plays a celebratory guitar solo at the wedding. With an it's... unplugged guitar. Yeah, well, no amplifier, but just a helicopter. It's, not meant... it's symbolic, man. Oh, no, I got that. Yeah, it good, certainly good. was symbolic to me, <laughs> I can tell you that. It certainly symbolised something in my mind. Yeah. But Estranged was a fantastic, huge Axel ballad. And that mm. also had a terrible video yeah. where he's diving under the sea and yeah. off a battleship. Yeah. So the essential news from Guns N' Roses at that point is 
we've gone nuts. You know, we've gone mad. We've got too much money, too much power, well, and and we've gone insane. A, a strange cost nearly the video cost nearly two million dollars <laughs> to make. And November yeah. Rain was similar. Yeah. Yeah. And then they made a bunch of videos they didn't even put out. Yeah. <laughs> so they're in this kind of insane period where they're just they're uncontrollable and they're out it, of it very very soon spins out of control and and uh, it, it can't and, be handled. And and at this very moment, here comes this complete antithesis to that experience three guys because also they'd expanded the lineup they had keyboards right. at a certain point they bring in a horn section yeah, yeah. female yeah. axel's axel's got this specially constructed giant grand piano built like a into motorbike a, like oh, harley davidson yeah. yeah and yeah. he's got the pink heart-shaped yeah sunglasses and he would he'd only and the play kilt and, and a kilt he'd only play in cities that began with n or something you know, <laughs> it was he was a magnificent rock star at that point an absolutely magnificent rock star he was he was yeah. but here now comes this total loser yeah. Scruffy guy. Yeah. Hasn't even brushed his hair yeah. his whole life. I mean, I, I told you I'm wearing my special grunge jumper. Yeah, it's got it. Which is full of describe, holes. It is. It's got a hole, attractively enough, right under the armpit. So you can, when he lifts up his arm, you can see. I'm wearing a white shirt and so you can and it, emphasizes and then, the holes. Yeah, and then it's, he's... Someone that, like, there's one on his arm and there's one on his stomach. So and two on the back. Yeah, and there's obviously there is a hole for his head. So we're looking at that. <laughs> as well. And the arms. Yeah, and the arms. Um, and and here comes this fucking you know who knows what he is a homeless person. Why didn't he live under a, a was he living under a bridge or something? Well, that was in the good times. Yeah, yeah. That was when there was a bridge to live <laughs> under. Living under. You think that's bad? Yeah. You should see where I so, used to live. Grunge is essentially the four Yorkshiremen sketch brought to life, isn't it? You know, it's like, you think that was bad. He's got this moth-eaten cardigan that belonged to his yeah. mum. He, he looks know. like Dennis the Menace. He's he? got ill-fitting jeans. Yeah, on his and and uh, his and he's group. A, he's a junkie, basically, isn't it? Yeah, he looks, but he's not not in a good way. No, 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 not you in know. a kind of Nicky Six type. No, way. my heart's just been kick-started, and now a couple of chicks are helping me over the shock. Absolutely, or, or you know. Slash. You know, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a complete, yeah. uh, you know, junkie. Yeah, but I do have a top hat. Yeah, and leather trousers. <laughs> yeah. And you can't see my and, eyes. And hanging out of my back pocket is a royalty check for $66 million. <laughs> that I haven't bothered to put in the bank yet. Um, uh, yeah, but no, this is like a, like a, an actual junkie yeah. living under a bridge. Like the kind of guy who comes up to you in the street because if you've got any yeah. something, you don't even listen. Yeah, or, or you'd be walking down Seattle, come out of a nice coffee shop. Yeah. And he'd be this kid you're going... You're warm, you're nice and warm. You're, and, and you're feeling comfy. Anorak, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know about an anorak. I think more of a more of a cashmere... Yeah, maybe something like that. Cashmere. Yeah. yeah. I just like saying cashmere. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you're wearing a cashmere. Yeah. Several yeah. cashmeres. Yeah. And along comes this urchin from the gutter. Yeah. Going, under, I'll, he's I'll, just, I'll just blow you up. for a dollar. Yeah, he's just got up from under the bridge. I'll blow you for a dollar, yeah. mister. Yeah. And you go, you think about it, obviously, because, <laughs> you know. You know. Yeah. But then you cold, go, nah, no. Nah. And Definitely then he's got a not. bass player that looks like fucking Lurch yeah, from the Adams like family. seven feet tall. Ugly motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what does he do? He just sort of jumps around yeah. You know, and then they've got a drummer yeah, well, who clearly I mean, has no future. Who, who, everyone has a drummer. 
I mean, for fuck's uh, sake, even yeah. the, the loneliest guy, of bands have yeah, a drummer. Yeah, exactly. He's just, he's, he's nothing special. No, he's just a drummer. Just a kid. He's just a drummer. It's yeah. not like he has any future ahead of him at any all. Any talent None. whatsoever. Zero. He's a drummer. Yeah. So they come out and um, they, I don't know if it's, if it was, if it was real or actually a brilliant move or all of those things, but when Nirvana came out with that video, and and it really was the kind of opposite of that Guns and Roses. We are in the biggest stadium in the world. We all turn up in our own limo for the show. Sorry, are we interrupting no, your no, no. busy I, I from, phone from when schedule? I, from when I. Um read out the, uh, oh, this, yeah. the the correction and clarification. Oh, you were doing a bit of research, were I you? forgot to turn my phone off, so carry yes. on. Um, I don't know what I was talking about now. You, you, Cobain has come up to you, hustling for a blowjob blow and a you tape. I'll blow you for a dollar, I'll blow you for a review. And you said, I've done reviews for I, less I, than that. I now. said, you'll blow me for a review. Get in line. Yeah, get in line, because <laughs> when I crawled into Donington, Gary Moore was right there. He was right there, yeah. blowing me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Y&T, but yeah. I didn't even write about it then. <laughs> so, um, it comes along and, and and it is a breath of fresh air. Not well, if- it sort of is. I mean, it's I, I, my memory is probably slightly different to yours in that I, you know, had a vague awareness of Nirvana, but, but because they'd been in sounds and... I think Sounds and Enemy really liked them. Yeah, they did, yeah. And John Because they'd done a sort of sub-pop album or something, something dreadful. They'd probably listened to one song from it and thought, this is crap. Well, well I think Enemy and that were probably more behind Mudhoney. Yeah, they? and they were, yeah, Mud... Well, didn't... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taxing the old research banks here, but uh, the, um, the guys... The, the, the Andrew Wood has died. The, the other sort of two main guys in in mother love bone was stone gossard and jeff amen guitarist guitarist and bassist both again rooted in in classic rock as you would want to call it jeff's a, a an iron maiden fan stone's a led zeppelin fan they're not they're not kind of yeah they liked punk or whatever but they also like and they all had stuff. really long hair all had really long hair and they played this kind of queen type stuff with andrew wood andrew wood encouraged all of that he was he called himself Le andrew didn't he he had this sort of Mercury, Elton John style he, persona. He was the but, kind of guy that come on in white boots pr- and yeah, makeup. Exactly. Prior to that, Stone and Jeff had been in a band, I think, with Mark Arm, Green River. Green River. Which was an influential sort of punk, underground punk band in, in Seattle. Seattle. And Mark Arm was the purist. And Arm was the one who sort of slung a mint and stone gossip at because they liked Iron Maiden. You know, yeah. they were Mark Arm like punk rock. And so he formed Mud Honey on the back of Green River and Stone and Jeff formed Mother Love Bone. That's roughly as I remember it. Um, so the, the Seattle scene at that, and then very soon after Mother Lo- Andrew would have died, um, he'd been flatmates with Chris Cornell, hadn't he? And, and Soundgarden were already up and running by that point. They were probably about to sign a major deal, had signed a major deal. I'm going to jump in Jump quickly. in, because you know it better than I do. Soundgarden were like a mini Led Zeppelin. Mini me, Led yeah. Zeppelin. I mean, great singer, Chris Cornell. Fantastic yeah. singer, fantastic musicians. Um, Good guitarist, you go on, that guy you couldn't remember. Good guitarist. Tim, um, t- t- Tim Thago. <laughs> and um, if you go on YouTube right now and put Soundgarden, 
Whiskey a Go-Go. Right. There's a clip of them playing the whiskey in like 88, yeah. 89. Yeah. They have all got really long hair and they are all doing this with it. Flicking it like yeah. this. Yeah. It is so metal. It's ridiculous. And if you listen to, was it Louder Than Love? Yeah. Um, Very it, Sabbath. Well, you, I thought it was like Sabbath meets Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Which if you're yeah. an American band not from New York or LA, in fact from Seattle, Sabbath were massive in Seattle, yeah. the whole northwest. Yeah. Well, they were the one heavy metal band Cobain would acknowledge as an influence. Then maybe Kiss, maybe. but Yeah, they so, all had, everybody in America, yeah. Kiss was in yeah. there somewhere for everybody, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? But... Um, so I guess I guess we're still in this sort of transitioning thing. But, but you were going to say that, that so um, Cornell w- was friends with Andrew Wood and decides to do a tribute to write. He he was in Europe. I think he was in Europe on tour, and he wrote a couple of songs that were about Andrew Wood and about his death. And when he returned from Europe, he got in touch with Gossard and Ament, who were kind of thinking, well, what do we do now? I think. Um, you wrote a great story for Raw at the time, I remember, which uh, reported on... the uh, Soon after Andrew Wood died, they had a, a memorial at one of the theatres in Seattle, the, the big one, I can't remember what it was called now. Um, but it was full, you know, so like a couple of thousand people there. And at that, uh, at the eulogy given by uh, Andrew Wood's father, he s- essentially said to Stone and Jeff, you should carry on, there try and carry on. Yeah. So they were sort of trying to work out what to do. They'd hooked up with Mike McCready, another guitarist, another metal guitarist, who I think had been down in LA trying to make it with Duff McKagan. Yeah. Um, who, who was obviously another Seattle guy. And McKagan was, had, had coaxed Stone and Jeff back into doing some demos. At the same time that was happening, Cornell comes back from Europe and goes, I've got these songs, you know, do you fancy trying to record them? And all at about the same time, Eddie Vedder, who was down in San Diego, was that someone like that? Yeah, yeah. Gets to hear the demos that McCready, Ament and, and Gossard have done and comes up to Seattle to do some recording with them. And Cornell turns up and says, I've got these songs. And Eddie Vedder ends up singing on one of the songs that Cornell's got. And these two projects emerge at roughly H- the same Hungry time. Hungry for Heaven, was it? Hungry for Heaven. Uh, Say Hello to Heaven, was it? Say Hello oh, to maybe, Heaven, or something yeah. like that. yeah. So these two projects emerge. One is Temple of the Dog, which is a line from a Mother Lovebone song. Yeah. Um, which happens to be about, um, that happens to be the name of this tribute that they do. Right. And then Pearl Jam, which was called Mookie Blaylock at first, which was the name of a basketball player, wasn't it? But they very quickly changed their name. And they did an was album. Was he a basketball so, player or was he a baseball player? A baseball player? player, something like that. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what he was. But the name changes. Junior uh, Squash Champion. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Coits or something like that. Death Coits. I think it was baseball. Yeah, something like probably that. Probably wrong. It doesn't matter. No doubt matter. we'll get they, comments. They, 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 we'll get comment accuracy. But Highlighting so, your so lack of so, research. So, so, but the the thing in my mind that was going on is like this intense period of creativity. All of these things are happening at the same time, kind of separate from Cobain. Although they would be lumped in, mm. there's kind of a familial connection between Soundgarden, between Pearl Jam, Mother Love Bone, yeah. those kind of bands. They were the same guys in and out of the same bands. Yeah. Whereas Nirvana were probably more on the kind of mud honey side of things, the pure well, punk. Well, Nirvana were from Aberdeen in right. Washington, so it wasn't strictly yeah. Seattle. Yeah. But it was. It's like saying you're in you're in Oxfordshire in England. You, you live in Oxford. Oh no, I live in Banbury. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. 
you're, right. you're in that you're in that Venn diagram. Yeah. But no, you're 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 absolutely right. But here, that's a crucial thing you've landed at here because here's my reading at this point is all of what you've said entirely accurate. Uh, Cobain did not move in those circles. But those, because here's the other thing about Seattle is they didn't have any music venues in the same way that New York had loads of clubs and bars. L.A. had loads of, Texas had loads of clubs and bars you could play in. Seattle didn't have any. And so what happened was, was for a really long time, these bands basically just rehearsed. Right. Or they would invite friends over to the rehearsal studio and do a, a set for them. But they had a really long kind of incubation period where they got really good at their instruments, yeah. became better and better at the songs. Soundgarden, I think, at that point, were the only ones that really had been around for a while. But as Nirvana starts to explode, suddenly Soundgarden the very nascent Pearl Jam, mm. Alice in Chains, all these other groups, start to manoeuvre their own positions musically and image-wise, more so in the coming years, but musically for sure, start to position themselves in that kind of Nirvana yeah. orbit. Yeah. So suddenly, instead of Soundgarden wanting to be the new Black Sabbath meets Led Zeppelin, they start to also manicure their sound and their songs to be more Nirvana than yeah. Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah. And Ed- I, I, think the, I think you're right. And I think the big twist between uh, Mother Love Bone and Pearl Jam, I think if you played uh, the Mother Love Bone album, Apple, and you played 10 instrumentally, you just played the instrumentals through without yeah. the vocals yeah. and without the lyrics, yeah. you'd think they sounded very similar. They would sound very similar. Absolutely. What the difference on 10 is the lyrical content and and Eddie Vedder's voice being sort of slightly more doomy and less rock starry than Andrew Wood's. But all of a sudden you had this shift from, well, I don't know. I mean, Wood was sort of slightly druggy and stuff, but it, it was that kind of Mark Boland type. Yeah. You know, no, no, stars Wood. in there, they had stars in their hair and the, yeah, they were tripping, but they that's because they were trippy and they were star children. Well, Whereas Eddie Vedder was... Here comes Jeremy with his fucking gun because he's pissed <laughs> off, you know. Well, Eddie was more a car mechanic, wasn't he? Where Landrew was yeah. like, um, I'm trying to think of a very flamboyant gay character in a comedy. He he, he was that archetype, yeah. makeup, hair, yeah, white boots. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying uh, he doesn't matter whether he was or he wasn't, but I don't think he was gay. Girls loved him. Yeah, no, he had that. He had the girlfriend painted yeah. fingernails. Yeah, it was all, all that, of that. Yeah, it was yeah. all of that. Was Eddie Vedder was never going to do that? No, you know, because no, that, Eddie was what, far too repressed. Yeah, yeah it didn't. It didn't. It didn't chime with the times. And as you say, all of a sudden. So, so in my mind, being in the 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 magazine office at the time, you were getting all of a sudden tape after tape because. The Pearl Jam album came out very quickly after Mother Love Bone. They didn't hang about making that record. Temple of the Dog came out and then came out again after the Pearl Jam album because A&M, who were the label who had Temple of the Dog, suddenly realised essentially what they had in this Temple of the Dog yeah. album was a super group. Super group, yeah. You know, they had the two... two Soundgarden put out... Um, Bad what, Motor Bad Finger. Motor Finger, which became a big album... And and ten came out and was a big album. So all of a sudden, Temple of the Dog comes back out. 
gets to about number five in the Billboard charts. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge yeah, album. Yeah. Cameron Crowe comes along, another sort of uh, Seattle-connected guy, married to Nancy Wilson from Heart, makes the film Singles, which is a kind of, you know, coming-of-age comedy, but about Seattle. There's a band in it, and the band in the film are played by Pearl Jam. So all of a sudden there's this cultural movement going on, which really didn't take very long. I mean, I bet if you measured the gap between Use Your Illusion, Axel going completely nuts, putting on the kilt and playing the piano with a, you know, made to look like a motorbike, and singles coming out, it was probably no more than a year, 18 months. Uh, a lot of those bands, Guns N' Roses included, but also Def Leppard, um had had this, you know, Appetite for Destruction and Hysteria, both came out in 87. Hysteria was a really big hit fairly quickly, but a big hit, 10 million sales. Yeah. Appetite took a year to get that kind of momentum. But they both then took, Def Leppard took another five years to bring out an album, and Guns N' Roses took another four years and and put out two double albums at once. <laughs> but if Guns N' Roses had put that Don't album out... Don't forget the mini album. Didn't they do a mini album? GNR Lies. GNR Lies. That was great. It was, was that the one with the Charles Manson song on it? <laughs> uh, no, no, that was Spaghetti. Oh, that was the Spaghetti. Yeah. yeah. The bonus track. The bonus that track. That he didn't even tell the rest of the <laughs> yeah. band about because he knew they'd be so pissed yeah. off. He just did it. I mean, imagine that. And then they ended up having to give the royalties away, didn't they, or something, because they were going to go to Manson. You're not suggesting Axel didn't think it through. <laughs> Surely. Anyway, Look at your anyway. game, girl. <laughs> so, um, but here's, here's, I think, the other aspect of this is... Um, because you've only got to Google or just know know this story anyway to know. Okay, so Nirvana hit, and in their trail comes Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, uh, Courtney Love and Hole, <laughs> L Seven, you know, that whole yeah. that, and all the other bands that didn't really make it big. And as you say, the movie, the fashion, it all escalated extremely quickly. Well, I think but, what was key, sorry, just to interrupt really briefly on that one, what was, what was key was the place itself. You, it was very easy to, to coin this movement. I mean, before grunge came along, you could just say it's Seattle and everyone knew what you meant as soon as you said that. Yeah. And I think that was quite key in the same way with hair metal, you could say LA and everyone knew what you meant by that. Absolutely. But, but, even, but, but LA hair metal didn't um, do like a cuckoo that lays a, 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 an egg that's twice the size of all the other <laughs> eggs in the nest. Yeah. Seattle was a, a cuckoo um, in the sense that not only did this incredible scene arrive oven ready, as it were, um, it killed, it killed it. Uh, what came well, before. Almost overnight as well, yeah. And, and, and here is an overnight story, because I think we should talk about all the groups that, it killed. Yeah. Thunder. Right. A wonderful British band who had their first breakthrough hit in the UK in 1990. Uh, are loved by every group. You know, they, they did shows with Hart. Hart loved yeah. them. They did shows with Aerosmith. I remember Stephen Tyler asking me, what's this group, man? Thunder, they're yeah. great. You yeah. know, Um Axel Rose loved Thunder so much, he went to his own label, Geffen, John Kolodner, 
and told Kolodna he had to sign them because they were signed to EMI in the UK, which meant meant they had a kind of reciprocal deal with capital in America. But they told me they did one showcase for capital in America and the head of the company came along and told them after the gig how much he loved the show and was looking forward to working with them and then literally went out with their manager at the time and said, this is the worst group I've ever seen. I don't like this music. I'm not doing anything for this group. You may as well just forget it. Yeah. So they thought their American career was over. Along comes Axel Rose. Right, right, yeah. Uh, resuscitates their career via John Kolodner and Geffen. So obviously the album um, Backstreet Symphony comes out about a year later in America. But the single Dirty Love was one of the most played on MTV. Brand, they did a video in England, but Kolodner got rid of all that and did brand new ones in America, which amazingly for the time featured lots of beautiful women we, yeah, yeah, all dressed in cocktail dresses, yeah. dancing yeah. to thunder, doing dirty yeah. love. Which thunder would have hated. Would have hated. Yeah. No, take yeah. those yeah. hired models out. <laughs> 50 of them? Yeah. Blow me? No, (laughs) no. So so Dirty Love sells about 400,000 copies. The album goes on to sell, uh, again, about the same. And they get American management in your very good old friend, Larry Mazer. Larry Mazer, good man. Who managed Cinderella. Did a fine job managing Did a fine job. Um, And... Um, and they're signed to Geffen, John Kolodner. It's all going off. Axel loves them. And a tour is arranged, and it's going to be David Lee Roth as headliner. Yeah. Thunder as openers. And this is 1992. Right, right. And it's arenas. I think it was a three. It was like David Lee Roth, Someone and Thunder. I can't remember who the other yeah. one was. Literally, Danny the Singer of Thunder told me this recently. He said... The night before, he said, I was actually packing when we got a phone call from Larry Mazer saying, forget it. Everything has literally just changed overnight. American music radio programming, which was crucial in those days, have just swapped their formats to say no more uh, rock and metal from those sort of 80s type bands. It's all grunge all the time. Wow, yeah. And... So they, they, long story short, they ended up doing some shows in Canada on their own and just because they were over there and they were very enterprising, they kind of worked their way down the West Coast, show here, show there. No backing, no promotion. Oh, that's, um, that would be a phone. That would be Larry. If you liked this episode, be sure to leave us a review, share it with a friend, or plain old subscribe wherever you happen to listen to it. For full episode show notes, visit nofilter.media forward slash get your rocks off. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.